Welcome to the Gone Boss Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Howe. And I'm your co-host, Angie Rogers Howell. Now, what is the Gone Boss Podcast? Well, it's a weekly podcast where we feature awesome women in our community. We'll interview them, find out what makes them tick, the cool things they're doing to make our community a great place to live and work, and how they've gone boss. Now, who do we have on the show today? Today, we have a special episode, a special guest today. Uh, her name is Muncie's own Betty Kendall. How old is Betty? Betty is 103. Uh, I don't think she'd mind me telling that. Uh, she's very open about that, but she is a Muncie native and loves our community so much and has a very interesting story to tell. So we thought, what better time to have her on than right now Our guest today is Betty Kendall, just turned 103 years old. Is that correct? On Valentine's Day. Congratulations, sir. Tell us a little bit about uh, about yourself. Well, I was born in Albany, Indiana. My mother was a Pennsylvania girl, but she came to Muncie Institute, I think it was called, where she met my dad, who was a Hoosier, Delaware County. His family, they were farmers north of town. And she made Muncie her home, made Indiana her home. I was born in Albany in 1916. My little brother was born a year and six days later, Jim Wingate. And in 1908, my dad avoided the war only because he had two little babies and a wife that was not well. And the war ended. 1918, dad took a job in Muncie at Merchants Bank. I don't even know what it was called then. It's been changes. But anyway, the Merchants Bank that we know today, Merchants National. And we moved to Muncie. That move was made with horse and buggy (laughs) to the the interurban station in Albany where dad would board that train, that car, and go into the bank to work. But when we moved, we got a car and had a Ford. That made us quite mobile. Mm -hmm. My grandfather, my dad's father, had a big heavy Buick with side curtains. And I remember we put heated stones and put them on the floor and then put a robe over them. And we even went down Southern Indiana to buy some sheep one time. So we traveled a bit, not a lot, a bit. Anyway, um, my grandfather who lived in Delaware County died when I was five. I had started a school at Riley. We were living on North Walnut Street, 1200 block. Our backyard had a fence, and on the other side was Paul Orchard. Grandfather died, and grandmother, we felt, my parents and my aunts, two aunts, uh, that grandmother shouldn't live in the country by herself. So we bought, grandmother and dad, bought a two-family house on West Main Street. We lived in the lower, uh, we lived in the upper apartment and grandmother and a friend, of her, a friend of hers, a younger woman, lived in the lower apartment. And then I had to transfer to Jefferson School. I made lots of friends, good friends, lifelong, uh, those years at uh, Jefferson. Roller skating, hopscotch, jacks, all those things that we played mm-hmm. that required sidewalks. 
when I was in the third grade, came out of school one day, and at the end of the walk down at the street, there was the prettiest pony hitched up to a little red cart, and my mother was in the driver's seat. It was ours. That was, that was a treat like no other. Uh, Dad didn't get us bicycles. He thought they were too dangerous uh, on the streets, but we had a pony. So we would let all of our friends ride our pony in the backyard, ducking clotheslines and trees, <laughs> and we'd ride the bicycle up and down. <laughs> Great trade-off. But it did change my life. My playmate was my little brother, and he wasn't interested in dolls. My friends and I had our dolls and doll carriages, and my grandmother in Pennsylvania made dozens of doll clothes, and uh, that all changed. We climbed trees. We played in the haymow. We rode the pony, bareback, seldom did we try a saddle. She was a big pony, she was not small, she was big, uh, but not the size of a riding horse, but she was a good sized pony. And we went all over that area. We'd go a mile up to 67, Route 67, that went to Albany, mm -hmm. cross the old gravel road on what we called a mountain. Well, it was a little rise. <laughs> <laughs> And we'd have our peanut butter sandwiches and played like gypsies. We had a great time, but it was very different. And Royerton, we took a bus to school, and it was an eight-month school because country children helped with spring planting and with fall harvesting. So we had a long summer. But that's where we went to school. What was your pony's name? You Pony. Pony? Mm -hmm. We rode that pony for years. There was one bad time. Jim was on her, and we had and we had a trapeze hanging from a limb, and we'd go on her and take the trapeze, and the pony would keep going mm -hmm. a few feet, and then she'd stop and start eating grass till we got on again. <laughs> but Jim went under at a trot. Well, no little brother of mine was going to outdo me, so I went through galloping and missed it. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> My first real good knock. When it was harvest time, the um, thrasher. Oh, great puffs of black smoke coming out, came down the road and turned into our place. And, and uh, they would thresh the wheat and the corn and stuff. And it was our job, Jim's and mine, to take thermos jugs of cold water to the fellows working out there. It was hot, hot weather. They got started as early as they could to harvest. The women in the neighborhood all collected together because they're all working on this. And they would put out a great meal and when they were through with our crop, down the road, they'd go to the next farmer. Anyway, we had some great experiences. I learned a lot. We had gardens. We had animals. We had our chores to do. Mother and Dad had built the home. We had four bedrooms, a nice living room down one side, dining room, kitchen, and then there was another little room. I think they call it the mud room today. We had one and a half baths. Oh, wow. The half bath downstairs, the one upstairs. I mean, I'm sure people today can't imagine how you got along that way, but you did. <laughs> they were at least inside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, is the house still there? Yes. Yes, it's still there, and it's been greatly remodeled. It was built in 1923, 25, in the mid-20s. Mm -hmm. But I did go through it a year or two ago. Oh, it makes it seem so small. But it was a big four-bedroom house. It was a, yeah, it's big back then. And uh, 
Now, now we're in the 20s. Talk about uh, the De Great Depression. Mother and Dad were very conservative. We never, we didn't do or buy for unnecessary things. There wasn't anything that we needed that we didn't have. And Ball Brothers, bless them, guaranteed to save Merchants National Bank. So Dad had a job, and we just lived as we always. It's, I'm embarrassed to say that because so many people didn't. You almost feel guilty when you say, how did it affect me? Hardly at all. <laughs> how could you be so lucky as to get through that miserable thing? Yeah. I'm sure that my parents suffered. And then when I was in junior, when I was a junior in high school, boy, I wanted to get back to those friends of mine in Muncie. Because when you got off the bus going home from school, nobody got off on your side. They all went on the other side. There were, we had no neighbors. Mm -hmm. Dad and mother had a 20-acre field of woods that they built in. The farm that we had was across the road in a big barn and a house for the man that worked for Dad, farmed for him. And the house, there just weren't, I never babysat anybody. There were no babies in the neighborhood. And everything was too far to, to go, uh, to get to. So um, we just had our chores at home. We got our allowance. And... Um, I kept my friends in Muncie. Mother was very, very kind to take me in to spend time with them or have them out, mm -hmm. which they loved to do. And uh, so I kept my friends. And when I was in the sixth grade at Royerton, I was pledged to a club in Muncie, Violet Club. They had them, many of them at Central. And uh, they didn't do anything very worthwhile. I think we had a dinner for our mothers on Mother's Day, and we had two dances a year, because this, this was the dancing era. The big bands were moving around from one town to another, college towns. We had wonderful music in the ballroom at the Hotel Roberts. There was a dance every night except Sunday during the two weeks of the Christmas holiday. Wonderful music, and we all had good friends. We didn't go around in groups as much as we went to these dances with different people. And, oh, you had to be careful that you hadn't worn that evening dress with him seven nights before. <laughs> Logistics were really right. difficult. You had a busy calendar. It's kind yeah. of and my dad was terribly upset. Why do you want to start the dances at 9 o'clock? Why don't you go at 7 and come home at 11? Well, Dad, some of the kids work during the holidays. Well, then they shouldn't be out until 1. <laughs> but he couldn't change it. So we went, and they were fun. We had a great time. My junior year, I decided I wanted to take French, and they didn't offer it at Royer, but they did at Central. Dad would not transfer us, so we rented a house in Muncie, and I went to Central, and Jim did. They rented the house in the country until we got old enough to drive back and forth mm -hmm. and worked it out. So for a few years, we lived back in town. And I finished uh, high school and immediately started my career at Ball State. I was too young to go away to college, they thought, and uh, go two years to Ball State, and then you can go wherever you want to. One of the slickest deals I ever heard. I had such a ball at school and got along so well, I had no interest in leaving Ball State. I think my dad knew that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was smart. <laughs> So did you go to the teacher's college? I went, I was elementary teacher, always thought I wanted to be there. Okay. Elementary education. 
I was in the middle of my senior year Christmas vacation. School was starting up the next Monday. This was, no, I was in school. Um, and there was a call from Anderson. A teacher was ill, or for some reason she couldn't come back. And they needed, did they have anybody to recommend? Well, having been a two year graduate, I'd done my student teaching. That's not what the girls in the four years mm -hmm. had. They took theirs in the senior year. So they sent me to Anderson. I was interested. So I went over on Saturday and interviewed with the director of elementary education teachers. And she said at the end of the interview, I will have to discuss this with Mr. Camel when he gets back. He's gone this weekend with superintendent. But I'll call you. So we got home back to Muncie. About half an hour later, the phone rang. Could you be here Monday morning? I'm not going to wait for Mr. Camel. <laughs> I was a student Friday afternoon, and I was first grade teacher in Anderson. Had no idea what the school was, where it was in Anderson, but I learned. Maddie Fry said, I'll have, have one of the teachers at your building pick you up. Where will you be? I said, the hotel, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> so Sylvia Bird picked me up and took me out to my school, which was North, North Anderson. Okay. And I met my 43 first graders. Oh, my. How we did it, I don't know, but they got along real well, and I did real well. We had a great time. I had two sets of twins. I remember one set with Sammy and Yvonne, and Sammy's shoes were about two inches, close to three inches too long, so it flapped like a little clown. They were awfully nice little kids, and I just loved them. You could take some, a simple package of cookies out, and they thought they'd been to a party. I had a great time with them. One weekend in the spring, I came back home for the weekend, and um, while I was out, I ran into my first grade teacher at um, Emerson, uh, not Emerson, at Jefferson. And um, she said, she was by that time head of the elementary education teachers. And she said, Betty, I've had my eye on you. Now, what did you do? <laughs> I didn't say it, but pay me a little more and I'll be glad to come to Muncie. <laughs> so anyway, um, I did transfer then to Muncie. That was in 19, January of 1937. I would have graduated in June, but I'm, I missed a semester, a term and a half. So I taught that year, and then I knew I was coming to Muncie. And I came to Stevenson School out on Mock Avenue. And I got kids that were similar to what I had had in Anderson. We had a ball. It was just fun, because everything I did was seemed to be fun mm -hmm. for them. And uh, I, I enjoyed it, and I know they did. I get letters from somebody living in Florida now. You saved me. I've been a teacher for 38 years, and it was your sample, your example, that led me to the profession. Uh, just nice things happen. I didn't have much vacation, summer vacation, but I finished my degree in 38. I planned to go to Europe in 1939, but that ended with the war in Europe. So a friend and I thought we'd like to go out and tour the United States then. My folks had two cars living in the country. Her folks lived in Albany and they had two cars. Out of four, wouldn't you think we'd have one? Neither one of those women wanted to give the car up and be stuck miles from their destinations. So I ran into a friend of dad's. He had a car agency and he said, hey, I hear your trip's kind of floundering in our, around, and I said, you yeah, know, we don't have a car. He, we talked for a minute. He said, 
I tell you what I'll do. I'll sell you a car at cost. Now your dad will sign for it. He was right. So I bought the car and she paid for the gas and oil. Mm -hmm. And we started out in my little Hudson. Soon as school was out. I mean, we hit the highway almost before the kids got home. <laughs> it was such fun. Uh, no interstate. Right. 66. We headed out for St. Louis. And that car, I had it about a month before we left. That car had 12,000 miles on it when we got home. Wow. We really toured. Yes. We didn't stay long any place. We didn't know where we were going half the time. We had a lot of maps, but I thought we might sleep in the car a couple of times, but we survived, found our little tourist homes or whatever you want to call them. Toured the West Coast from, well, we took, we left 60, 66 and drove on a gravel road up to Santa Fe. Ruth had a cousin who was an architect and he'd helped build La Fonda Hotel in Santa Fe. So I saw Santa Fe in the early, well, almost 40s, mm -hmm. I was 39, and it was brand, you know, quite new then. Oh, yeah. And I loved going back when my daughter later on moved there and seeing Santa Fe today versus Santa Fe in 39. Mm -hmm. Went on to the West Coast, and a friend of mine, her aunt had married a Navy captain. And uh, she insisted that we get in touch with Annie Hazel, which we did. And fortunately for us, it was Fleet Week in San Francisco. And he was captain of the USS California. That's not a bad deal. No. <laughs> we were in the reviewer's stand and watching the sailors and the military march by. And there was a formal dinner party for us on board the ship. We rode in the captain's gig out to the ship, and we were treated like royalty. Yeah. I'll never forget the weekend in San Francisco, first trip there. So then we went on up north, up as far as Canada, the coast, and uh, back to the northern way. Okay. And then I went to New York with a friend, a different friend of mine. I think Ruth had had enough, and uh, went to New York. By the time I got back, a couple of days before school started, I had 12,000 miles on that car. Wow. Were your parents concerned about two well, young ladies traveling Well, we didn't have country? any telephones. Right. You really know that. Mm -hmm. Letters, and I wondered in, Santa, in Wyoming if I should go out and see a friend of Dad's who had a ranch out there, and Dad had been out and seen it. And he was a nice man, and, and I always seemed to like me. So I called Dad and I said, would it be okay if I went out to visit Clarence Tarbett and his wife on their ranch? We're here. And he wasn't fast enough getting the answer back and we were moving. So I missed that one. Mm -hmm. But it was a telephone call once in a while mm -hmm. and notes and cards and letters. I imagine, I can't imagine today or haven't since, that, since I've been old enough to <laughs> realize what we did. Uh, how in the world they ever agreed to let me go? <laughs> I was early 20s, what, 20, 37, 23, and Ruth was younger, a year or two younger, and off we went, no trouble, had one flat tire, didn't, oh, no, we didn't have a flat tire, we pulled in for gasoline, uh, we had a van wait on us, we didn't have to get out and pump our own <laughs> good old days. Um, he came, filled the tank up and he came up and says, Want me to pull the nail out of your tire, lady? 
I said, yes, please, and fix it. <laughs> I patched them. So we had a great summer. And it's 1939, and I came home, and that fall, I met a new man in Muncie. And I asked the fellow I was with, I said, who is that with uh, Jim and Tom? Well, he's new here, and I don't intend to introduce you until I can't avoid it any longer, because I think you'll like him. <laughs> that was Tom, and I did. <laughs> and we were married a year later, Thanksgiving in November of 40. Tom was in the National Guard, a graduate of uh, Purdue. So uh, he worked at Delco, and we got married. But they called all the National Guardsmen in, mm -hmm. in January. I don't know where they called all of them in January, but he, he was called in January. January of 1941, and he was out of service in October of 45. And by 1942, we had two little girls, and he was located in, he'd gone to Fort Sill to the Mill Army School to communication school, and they kept him on as an instructor. So we had a house, which just like the one on the whole street, mm -hmm. you counted down, we're number five. The backyards, had clotheslines, and most of them had white flags flying, babies galore. Mm -hmm. It was an experience. We met some nice people, and then then he went to Fort Leonard Wood for overseas training, and it was overseas for the last year oh, okay. with General Patton in Germany, Europe. So how long were you married to your husband? We married in, in 40, and he died in 1976. Okay. In 1957, we moved to Birmingham, Michigan. Okay. He was transferred to, Tom's chief engineer at Delta. Okay. Mm -hmm. He was transferred to uh, Maine headquarters okay. in, in Detroit. Mm -hmm. And we moved up there. The girls were in junior high. Sally was in high school. Marianne was the last year of junior high. So they graduated from school there. Okay. We lived in Birmingham, and it was a new experience for me. I'd never been a stranger in... I mean, in the Army, you don't count that. <laughs> Everyone's a stranger at you that point. You've got all kinds of brothers and sisters. <laughs> right. So it's kind of a big family. And uh, I learned what it was like to be the newcomer. Mm. And it was a good lesson. I had thought when people moved to Muncie, I'd wait till I got things kind of picked up and put away and were ready. They didn't do that to me when I moved to Birmingham. The moving day... They came over with a pot of hot coffee, plugged in the coffee pot, brought donuts and orange juice, and while we waited for the van to come with our stuff, mm -hmm. and mother and dad to come with the two little girls from Muncie, it was so much more helpful. I just learned a lot. So it was a really good experience for me to not be the little girl of Chester Wingates, and everybody knew him, and I looked so much like him. At one of those dances in high school, at intermission, we're on the balcony up there, and the orchestra's taking a little rest, and we are. Um, a friend of mine said, oh my gosh, take this, and handed me her cigarette. Her parents were coming up the steps. <laughs> they did. They came up to see us dance and to hear the music. That was not unusual, but her parents didn't know she smoked. I assume how she could hide it, I don't know. Anyway, I got rid of it. When I got home that night, I don't know why, but I went in. Evidently, the folks must have been awake. I don't think I wakened them. But I said, well, funny thing happened. The Red Lane gave me her cigarette when she saw her parents coming. Dad came home from the bank the next night, and he said, 
I'm glad you told me about that case with the red with the cigarette. He said, a friend of mine came into the bank today and he said, Chester, I didn't know Betty smoked. <laughs> I mean, that's how far I could get with anything. Uh, we I'd moved to Westwood in '57, but Tom called me one day and said, "How would you like to um, live in Birmingham?" And I said, "Well, I guess I could learn you all." He said, "No, not." Birmingham, Alabama, Birmingham, Michigan. <laughs> so we moved to Birmingham and we were there about 14 years, okay. 14 or 15 mm -hmm. years. Tom lived till 1976. Okay. So I've been a widow a long time. Mm -hmm. We bought a little farm north of town and he just loved it. It was just north of Road 28 on Wheeling. We worked so darn hard to get that place the way we wanted it. The house, the grounds. We had a farmer who farmed. Then he died. But I stayed there until 2007, I think it was. Anyway, I stayed there a long time by myself. Mm -hmm. And then I decided it's time I moved in town. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I moved into Westwood. And would you believe, I moved into town. Would you believe I moved to Westwood five houses from where we lived? 50 years before, hmm. 57, one, two, three houses from the president's home, mm -hmm. the old Bracken house. Right. So I lived there until I moved to Westminster and I've been completely satisfied. I did the right thing. Motherhood lived there. I was on the first board of directors they had. There was financial problems with Westminster. They wanted out of the group. Mm -hmm. There were a group of them. Right. They wanted out of the group. And they had the top men in town working on that thing. I said, what? Why me? What can I do? Your mother lives here, and you can keep us aware of how the residents feel about things that we are going to be doing. And I said, oh, I can do that. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> I was back um, all those years that Tom was gone. I belonged to Scioto by sorority, the Stone Traffic sorority mm -hmm. that runs the bargain box today right. and makes substantial donations. Um, that organization started in late, the late 1889 wow. and is still going with a membership of, I don't know, a hundred and some. Mm -hmm. We do a lot of them. Conversation Club, which started about the same time, which was a period when women, educated women, didn't have a podium. They didn't weren't expected to talk mm -hmm. to groups or have much to say. Some of these these were the wives of the men who came here for the gas boom, mm -hmm. and they built up fabulous businesses. They'd been to Vassar and all the big schools up east, and uh, so they had a conversation club, and it's still going. Somebody gives a talk. They used to assign your subject, but we don't do that now. <laughs> you may choose your subject, and then you discuss it for a little while. And they used to meet at nine. I know they all had help from home. Got the children off to school, and they met at nine, but they were back home by 11. No food was served. The speaker could have a glass of water, and we still have that. Really? But whoever wants to can go out to eat afterwards now. So it's, it's different, but it's that old organization. <laughs> and Fascinating talks are given. Fun. I belong to Bridge Club, and I belong to a book club, 
these are things I've done for years. It's a lot of times there are a lot of new people, but with all the younger girls that are friends of my kids and these sororities and organizations I belong to, I've gotten to know a lot of people in the 103 years. I only taught five years. Okay. And uh, you see in the 30s, women didn't work out right. of the home. Unless it was either something that was driving them to do it, or it was necessary that they help. And mother didn't work after she had children. Well, mother never did work. She got married. But my grandparents, none of those women worked. Mm -hmm. And none of our friends, really. I don't think I remember anybody. Well, she was didn't have any kids, so she worked. My dad's secretary. Oh, okay. But anyway, uh, Sally graduated from... Sally didn't graduate. She went to school, went to West, went to Michigan State for a while, and then she applied at United Airlines and became a stewardess. Okay. Now they're still flying props. It took a long time to get to California. Oh She'd finish her duties. There'd be two or three guys at a card table. Do you play bridge? Well, here, play the fourth hand, will you? Pretty soon, you didn't have time to get your job done. You were, but um, and and eventually, anyway. Mary Ann went to University of Arizona, Tucson, for a couple of years, but then she came back to Michigan and graduated at Michigan, Ann Arbor, and she was a teacher. But uh, she said, Mother, do you know what teaching is like today? Years and years later, after I did, in the 30s, I said, well, I've heard some things. She said, she said, I will never teach another grade. I'm through. She said, they don't respect me. The parents don't. They've got so much paperwork. I don't have time to do it and teach. She said, I will. it's just not. And she loved little kids and would, would have been a good one. But she said, I'm going to apply with United. She said, I'll fly while I can because they didn't keep those girls forever. Mm -hmm. They only wanted the young, pretty ones. <laughs> so anyway, she did. She uh, also flew for United. They were never on the same plane, mm -hmm. which I liked. <laughs> but they had apartments together, and, and oh, that's when we began to travel. Sally said, would you like to go to Hawaii? She could take her mother and dad for the price of the tax. Oh, wow. And of course, we had to buy our hotel, right. pay our way. But nevertheless, that got really got us started. Tom and I had always done a lot. We'd been to parks all over the country, and but uh, we traveled abroad. All over. I've just had wonderful ex experiences that way because he was retired. Mm -hmm. So we got in a lot of traveling. Uh, one night I was with friends of mine from Muncie for dinner and they were going to take a cruise and they were talking about it. And suddenly Joe Meeks or Joe Varan, I don't know which of us, said, Why don't you come with us, Betty? Get yourself a roommate and come with us. Well, about that time, John Fisher stepped up and says, Janice could go, couldn't you, Janice? <laughs> he was at that time working at Mall Corporation on getting the company on the stock exchange. Oh, okay. And he was so busy that he felt the cruise would be good for Janice. Mm -hmm. So Janice and I went on the cruise. Oh, fun. And when we got back, we went up to Michigan as a, a group in the summer, and eventually it developed into a traveling group. Mm. And we called ourselves the Pineapple Group. Because once again, we went to Hawaii because it was the Meeks 40th wedding anniversary. 
and around the pineapple field of this big Hawaiian with a machete, took a pineapple and went like this and handed you a piece on the end of his gun and the juice is running down the elbows. <laughs> it, we became the pineapple group and there were 20 of us finally. Oh, wow. And we traveled many places and then would have house parties in the summer up at Leland and up at the Meeks's at Harbor Springs. We just had a wonderful time. It was a pineapple group. That's really neat. So I got a lot of traveling in. Where's, where's the most exciting place you've traveled? Where's your favorite place that you've been? I asked the girls one time, I said, don't tell me, I want you to write it down. But if you could take one trip to a city, what would it be? And we all wrote Paris. <laughs> Pause. Mm -hmm. I haven't told you that Marianne quit flying, she got married. And she had two little boys, my great grandsons. That was in 71 and 72. We were back at, yeah, she had, those, had Pete in 71 at the time we moved back to the farm. Left Detroit, and that's where they were. Anyway, those two little boys are grown up, and they have my two little great-grandsons mm -hmm. now. They live in Brooklyn. Marianne and Philip, he was a banker, have lived in Detroit, Dayton, Santa Fe, and now they live in Oakmont, California, about an hour from where Sally lives. She's been in California for 50 years or more. She married a Californian. And one of those grandsons grew up, never got married. He's my bachelor boy. And he lives in Sebastopol, which is a half an hour from his mother and dad. And his dad's health isn't, it's deteriorated some. So he'll go over and say, Dad, let's play a couple, two or three holes of golf. So they'll go out. The golf course is not busy by that time mm -hmm. in the late afternoon. And uh, so it's a big help. And Sally's husband died, so she's a widow. What is my purpose in life? I just love being helpful. Nothing big. Ball State's a major interest. They offer everything from, I'm a real fan, basketball. I like <laughs> basketball. I played basketball at Royerton in junior high. I was a running center. There were a pair of lines across the court, and they jumped the ball there. And I was a running center in between these two lines. I was supposed to get the ball and get it to our forward on this side of this line. Our guards were down there where their forwards were, and we wore black sateen bloomers. Oh. We were gorgeous. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> they and named an orchid after you at the orchid house, right? Yes. For your 100th yeah, birthday. Yeah, a group of my friends. Well, I had a 100th birthday, and that was the first party in the new big room at Westminster, oh, our party, okay. big party room, mm -hmm. legacy room. It was the first party in there. They weren't really quite ready, but they got the kitchen stuff out, or the diners out, and uh, we had between four and 500 people. Wow. Of course, you got a lot of them right there at Westminster. And we had a lousy day, terrible, <laughs> sleety rain in the afternoon. I couldn't believe it. but. A couple of my friends talked to the girl who operates the, Cheryl, mm -hmm. who operates the greenhouse, and named an orchid the Betty Kendall Lady Slipper, because I wear high heels. I know, you're wearing heels today, too. Yeah. You're wearing them all over the place. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so I much. I didn't know what I was us. doing. That gay. She gets you roped into all kinds of things, right? I tell you.
I okay. called her and I said, Gay, aren't you supposed to pick me up today at 1.30? Yes, I am. She hadn't called me. I said, well, what is this? Is, is this going to be on radio? No. So she had to explain to me what you were doing. <laughs> Thanks for joining us for this episode of Gone Boss. Be sure to check us out at GoneBoss.com or hashtag GoneBoss. We're also on Instagram at GoneBoss2K, or you can find us on Facebook just by searching Gone Boss. If you like what you hear today, be sure to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you find your podcast. Have a great rest of your day, and don't forget to tune in next week and find out who has Gone Boss. Gone Boss.